This is the American Medical Association's COVID-19 Update Podcast. This is part of an ongoing series featuring critical insights from the physicians and healthcare professionals on the front lines of the pandemic. Hello, this is the American Medical Association's COVID-19 Update video and podcast. Got a lot to talk about today, variants, vaccines, and concerns for the fall, both COVID and monkeypox. I'm excited to uh, see Dr. Peter Hotez, Dean of the National School of Tropical Medicine at Baylor College of Medicine, co-director of the Texas Children's Hospital Center for Vaccine Development in Houston, and of course, a very important friend of the COVID-19 update. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Dr. Hotez, it's great to see you again. It's great to see you, although I wish it were under better circumstances. I I suddenly realized that I only see you when under times of duress and and, uh, the fact that we need to talk again. As much as I love speaking with you, Todd, it it is under troubling circumstances that we face both with COVID and, of course, now with monkeypox. And and by the way, we have this thing called polio as well. So there's a lot on our plate right now. Well, we're going to get into all three of those things. Before we start, I just want to highlight three important things that have happened to you since we last talked. Number one, the continuing global rollout of a vaccine that you developed, Corbivax. Uh, the fact that you and your colleague, Dr. Botazi, if I have that uh, pronunciation right, were nominated for uh, a Nobel Peace Prize. And the third thing is, after all our talking about COVID and everything you've done, you finally got COVID yourself. Yeah, that's right. Well, our vaccine um, that we developed at uh, our Texas Children's Hospital Center for Vaccine Development at Baylor is um, we we provided it uh, the technology to a biological E in India, to be a pharma in Indonesia, uh, in SEPTA in Bangladesh, Immunity Bio that wants to do this in Southern Africa. And and BioE's gotten the furthest, of course, and 66 million doses have been administered uh, so far uh, uh, among adolescents, 12 to 14-year-olds. So I think it's a record in terms of, if you look at number of doses in the numerator and public dollars required to do it in the denominator, I think we break all records. And so that's amazing. That's something to be proud of. Um, the um, And now we're waiting for the 5 to 11-year-olds and the booster and then the emergency use listing by the World Health Organization. So lots moving. And now Indonesia with their own version of the vaccine is in phase three trial. So that would really ramp up the the doses as well. So, you know, all everything's pointing in the right direction in terms of, of the vaccine. And yeah, no, I was thrilled to, to get the nomination. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see where it goes. I'm not, I'm not buying tickets to Oslo just yet, but uh, <laughs> But just just the recognition is nice. It was, you know, you've been with me through this whole thing, Todd, the last two and a half years, and we've been talking and and you know the the difficulties we faced to do this on modest support and on top of all the anti-vaccine aggression that I got as in reward for it. So um it's it's nice to be in this place, uh, even though it's we're still not we're still not on the other side of this pandemic. Has having COVID uh, yourself and even experiencing a rebound infection after Paxlovid, has that changed anything about your perspective? Well, it's it made me realize what a blessing these vaccines are. And just like the president said, the reason he's doing Zoom calls from the Oval Office and I was doing Zoom calls and interviews from home in, in isolation 
was not by accident. It was because I was fully boosted and uh, immunized and fully boosted. And and we now know from data from the CDC that individuals over the age of 50 who've had those two boosts on top of the two primary immunizations. That makes all the difference, whether you know, you're home working or doing whatever you want to do versus sick in the hospital bed or an intensive care unit. And and that's the message to get out that there's still a few American, too few Americans are taking the boosters. Only about a third of the country's taking the first booster. You know, I took the second booster and a few colleagues, but not a lot, not many more. I think only about 23, 25% of people over 65 have gotten their second booster. And that's not good because those are the ones who are going to wind up going to the hospital. Absolutely. And now we're dealing with, of course, uh, a different Omicron subvariant. We've got BA4, BA5 making up the majority of cases here in the U.S. Is that uh, changing the landscape at this point? It sure is. I mean, it's just so highly transmissible and and everybody has colleagues that are getting sick with COVID now, and, and that's not by coincidence. Yeah. This is the most transmissible of all the variants. And with each wave, they, they seem to be more transmissible, and they have the immune escape properties as well. So that's why we're seeing a lot of breakthrough cases and new cases among those who aren't vaccinated. I mean, the good news is by now pretty much all of the country has either been infected before or vaccinated or infected, then vaccinated or vaccinated and breakthrough infection. So on a population level, that has reduced the number of deaths and hospitalizations, but there's still a lot of deaths and hospitalizations. Okay. It's not two to 3000 every day, but now it's four to 500. COVID is still the, the fourth leading yeah. fourth leading cause of death in the United mm. States right now on a daily basis. And that word is not getting out enough. And it's happening because there's still this group that's deeply dug in and refusing to get vaccinated. And then, as I say, the underachievement in the percentage of the population willing to get boosted and, and people aren't vaccinating their kids. So that that's yet another problem. So maximizing out your medical interventions, you know, to take be have some situational awareness of your vaccination status and and take every opportunity if you have have it to get those boosts and and if you do get sick whether or not you've been vaccinated take Paxlovid and it's, there's some now some data trickling in on people who are are not taking Paxlovid there seems to be a similar geographic uh, divide or partisan divide blue state versus red state divide for even taking Paxlovid and the people who aren't vaccinated probably need the Paxlovid the most and. And part of that is a rural-urban split as well. So we're also not persuading people to take advantage of getting that medicine. Yeah, big article in the New York Times today about that rural-urban split, uh, even within states. Uh, so definitely an issue. And we've got you know waning immu uh, immunity, lack of vaccination, lack of boosters, and then a highly transmissible variant that seems to be escaping uh, uh, the effects of previous infection. That yeah, I mean, I mean, Ashish Jha, the White House coordinator, made a very provocative statement. He got criticized for it, but he's not entirely wrong. I mean, he says that no one should have to die for COVID, from COVID anymore, and it's a bit over the top, but not that much over the top. I, you know, it, he's more right than wrong, and and you know, trying to convince people to take full advantage of what the government's made available to them is really critical. Well, uh, looking to the fall. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about a new vaccine formulation 
that would be focused on Omicron and its sub subvariants. But are the vaccines that we have st uh, now still still effective? And um, what about your own vaccine or the new vaccine, Novavax? So a, a few things. Um, you know, the the new proposed strategy of a bivalent mRNA vaccine comprised of one mRNA for the original lineage, another mRNA for BA5. I, I have mixed feelings about because I think by the time it's ready in the fall, BA5 may be past us and we may be onto something entirely new. So I'm not, and given the fact that the mRNA boosters are not holding up quite as well as we'd like, I don't know that that's the best strategy. Um, it may be all we have, but I've been saying what we really need to do is look past mRNA technology to see if we can boost with um, something else. Now, having said that, I have a total conflict of interest in this since we have another vaccine not being used in the U.S., but, you know, Corbivax in India, could that be a potential boost? So we're starting some of those discussions as well. And also the Novavax is a possible uh, boost as well. So all of those things are, are on the table. And I think we have to really give some serious consideration to that. You took care of the nation. It's time for the nation to take care of you. The AMA stood by America's physicians and patients during the pandemic, and we're not stopping there. We're fixing prior authorization, leading the charge on Medicare payment reform, supporting telehealth, fighting scope creep, and reducing physician burnout. It's time to rebuild, and the AMA is ready. To learn more about the AMA Recovery Plan for America's Physicians, go to ama-assn.org slash time to rebuild. And then there's a longer term strategy of the need to develop a universal coronavirus vaccine. Um, my colleagues, Eric Topol and Akiko Iwasaki have been pushing the idea of uh, alternative delivery mechanisms, mucosal delivery, skin delivery, all those and we're doing that ourselves. We're also making a, a universal coronavirus vaccine and looking at alternative delivery platforms. I don't think it's a quick fix, though. I think, you know, I at the White House summit this um, that, that we just recently had, um, I said, you know, 2024 at the earliest. And, and everybody disagreed with me for two different reasons. One said, no, 2024 is too optimistic. Then the other half of the room said, no, 2024 is too pessimistic. So, so uh, I guess 2024 kind of splits the difference, but you get the idea. They're not, you know, these new concepts, you know, and by the way, we have no funding for them right now. Although the white, I, the, the Democrats are pushing a $20 billion spending bill, but you know, if that doesn't happen, then, then it could be lights out. But even if it does, I don't see, I still see this as maybe a couple of years away and we still need a strong interim strategy. So for somebody who's eligible right now for, let's say a second booster, would you say like, go ahead and get it? I, I would. Well, definitely if you're over the age of 15, you're up for a second booster that all the data say there's a big difference between getting the second booster and just having one booster. I guess it was that so, that question that I, I I hear a lot and I see a lot, which is if there's something in the fall, should I wait? And I think- uh, My opinion, no, because one, we don't know, fall's a long time. Is it early fall, September, or are we talking early December? So, and even if you take the booster now, the one that's available, by the time that second booster is, the, the other booster is available, you take a third one and the third one would be the new one. So I think we're going to wind up moving to third boosters pretty soon. 
anyway. So I, I wouldn't wait because BA5, is, we're in the throes of a pretty screaming level of transmission of BA5 now. Do whatever you can to protect yourself from getting it or at least not getting hospitalized because of it. And then worry about getting a third booster later on. Now you mentioned- Which, which by the way, may or may not materialize, so. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned before the subject of kids. Uh, you know, we're not seeing great uptake in either the five to eleven year range or even the now the the younger group. How do we how do we address that? Yeah, you're right. I mean, of the five to eleven year olds, only about thirty percent of parents have taken advantage of that, and that's nationally. Again, big geographic variation up in the blue state north. It's 50, 60% down where I am here. And, you know, especially you go to Louisiana, Mississippi, we're looking at 11%. So really, really low. And then for the under fives, forget it. It's, I think the CDC came out a week or two ago and said of the cohort of 18 million um, under fives who are eligible to get vaccinated with, against COVID-19, only about 300,000 have been immunized. So single digit percentages. So I think... There's a lot of advocacy. I mean, part of that may be because it's the summer and maybe pediatricians have more restricted office hours and people and the kids are still on vacation and um, are, are not not at home. So there's there could be that as, as well, but I still don't see the numbers picking up a lot. So I think we don't, one, we have to explain to parents why COVID-19 is a bad actor in kids. It's okay, maybe on, on average, it's not as severe as adults, but 1,200 children have died from COVID so far. And um, that's more than most of our other vaccine-preventable diseases and and the hospitalizations and the long COVID we're seeing in kids. And we don't know what the long-term developmental consequences, uh, neurodevelopmental consequences of long COVID are going to be in kids. So for all those reasons, I'm a pretty vocal advocate to get our kids vaccinated, but parents are holding back. Uh, and really, uh, those are really important reasons to, uh, to get that vaccine. Um, well, let's uh, turn our attention to another growing concern, which is monkeypox. And uh, we recently had a, a really great conversation with uh, some folks from the CDC about what physicians need to know. But uh, in your view, how concerned do we need to be about monkeypox relative to COVID? And are we responding in the best way we can? Well, it's a very different disease, of course, and it doesn't have the fatality rate in the current population, which tend to be um, younger, healthier men. And, and but, you know, I'm worried if it starts to generalize in kids and pregnant women and uh, those who are immunocompromised, then we are going to start seeing some deaths. And, and I think that's a real, that's a real possibility. My, my, so that's one concern. My other bigger concern is the trajectory of the cases. They're really going up um, pretty fast. And, and we know from everything else we've had to deal with those numbers, reported numbers are always underestimates by some unknown factor. So the numbers are going up and I'm worried that if, unless we can get our arms around this and really start to beat it back with, uh, with vaccinations, it's gonna generalize across the US population. Um, and not only the US, if you look at where the largest number of cases in Europe are right now, it's Portugal and Spain. And pretty much anything that you see in Portugal and Spain goes pretty quickly to Latin America, to Brazil in the case of Portugal, to um, um, 
the other South American, Central American countries in the case of Spain. So I worry this now is going to really, especially a place like Brazil, where we know epidemics can really, like COVID, like HIV AIDS, can really rip through the population. So I'm worried about some potential catastrophes there in Brazil. And not only generalizing among the human population, but what happens if it gets into animal populations? We know it's in the wastewater. Um, you know, what if this gets into rodent populations like it has in, in, in Central and West Africa? Um, then it becomes a permanent fixture, right? Then you go, f- next thing that happens is a pandemic. And then even after the pandemic subsides, it becomes enzootic or becomes, you know, a permanent part of the landscape. And so what was purely a Central and West African problem is now a, a global infectious disease. And that's never good either. So I'm, I'm very worried for reasons that are different from COVID, but, but very worried nonetheless and can't say how enough how important it is to vaccinate, to get those vaccine doses up and, and maybe start doing some creative things. Maybe until we can accelerate the production of the Bavarian Nordic vaccine, which is the non-replicating MVA vaccine, look at that older vaccine, which we know has problems. But maybe you could do a mix and match with MVA, the Bavarian Nordic vaccine, and the older ACAM vaccine and, and figure out a way to do that safely. So I think we have to start looking at some options there. Well, Dr. Hotez, uh, it's always incredible to talk to you. You're officially the only person that I know who's been nominated for a Nobel Prize. So it's uh, always an honor uh, to be able to speak with you. Uh, Thanks for joining us today. And uh, that's it for today's COVID-19 update. We'll return soon with another COVID-19 update video and podcast. You can check out all our videos at ama-assn.org slash podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Please take care. Subscribe to other great AMA podcasts available wherever you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening.